0: Hello, and welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me, I am Howard Parker. For the first time in IBMA Awards history, the voting membership has acknowledged an international broadcaster for the 2020 Broadcaster of the Year Award. In this podcast, New Zealander by birth and Australian by choice, Mike Keir, host of Music from Foggy Hollow, talks to Katie Daly about his award his background, and what it's like to have an audience on multiple continents.
1: Congratulations, Mike, on your 2020 IBMA Broadcaster of the Year Award. I think you're the very first international
2: broadcaster who's ever taken that award. I'm, I'm amazed and uh, deeply honored, I could tell you. You know something? In my entire life, I've never had an award for anything I've done. And so this is life-changing, in fact, for me.
1: Tell us how you first got into bluegrass, living as far away from Bill Monroe as possible, and then tell us what led you to broadcasting.
2: Well, OK, I, 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 I'm a New Zealander. I lived in, lived in New Zealand until I was 31. It was uh, in the 1960s that a band called the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band started uh, making making news for themselves in New Zealand. There uh, they were a, a bunch of enthusiasts who had, who had uh, found flattened and Scruggs, uh, on on vinyl record, and they thought that sounded fun, and uh, because they didn't know any better, they thought, well, we, we should we should just get it, get ourselves a van and and just travel around the country and and make money doing this, because they didn't know you couldn't make money doing that, they made money doing that, and they packed packed out little little town halls here and there, and little villages and towns and cities and all over the country. It got to the point where they had a weekly television program, a uh, prime time. And uh, they would have uh, 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 they would do a a song themselves at the top and bottom of the half hour show, and uh, be the backing band for whatever guest artists were there. And uh, New Zealanders at the time in in the the late 1960s thought that that the word country music meant uh, banjos, fiddles, mandolins, uh, what we now call bluegrass. They, they were having they were having a ball doing this and uh, then they discovered that they could they could uh, persuade the the uh, uh, the fiddler from the uh, from the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra to come and play some of this stuff too and uh, uh, the uh, the banjo player uh, Paul Trenworth, had a had a an interest in this this lady and they ended up getting married Um Incidentally, just as a little side, she, she's she's had a quite a good career at the East Tennessee State University, uh, teaching Appalachian fiddle to the Appalachians. Anyway, uh, around about around about that time, uh, the Woodstock Woodstock uh, movie came to came to New Zealand, and uh, and uh, I was a young university student, and I saw uh, I saw the kind of people that were there, and the fun they were all having rolling in the mud and skinny dipping in the creek, and you know, that all sounded like terrific to me. And uh, my friend said to me one day, uh, "Hey, look, there's a um, there's a there's a music festival going on up and up in uh, Hamilton, which is about or four hours drive north of where we were." And uh, I thought, "Well, that sounded like a hell of a good way to spend a weekend." So um, uh, off we went, and um, we didn't have any skinny dipping and and uh, and uh, rolling in the mud and all of that stuff, but. Uh, we did have uh, bill bill clifton and the hamilton county bluegrass band and some other bluegrass fans and uh, i'd been singing i had been, been in a folk group singing these dreary protest songs and and uh, morbid morbid death songs and things and this all sounded a lot lot, lot more fun to me and um, so so that's when I, that's when i got seriously interested in bluegrass and you played guitar yeah yeah i'd been that- given a guitar for my 15th birthday and I've, I've ever since then, I've been struggling to get myself up to the standard of mediocre on the thing I, in my, in my head, it sounds identical to Tony Rice, but I don't know what's the matter with the guitar. that It doesn't come out that way. All right. And then what happened? Well, I, uh, uh, I, I continued on for a little while with the, with the, uh, with the folk music because we had a folk music group and, and uh, life moved on and I never really got serious. Cause I didn't think I could ever play the guitar like that fellow in the bluegrass band. And, um, uh, in 1981, my wife and 18-month-old son and, and me came to Australia, and uh, uh, I was uh, having a, a, about to have a barbecue at my place, and I invited my friend to, from down the street to come to bring his family and come to have a barbecue with us. And he said, "Oh, good, yeah, that'll be fantastic." "Oh, oh, no, wait, um, well, I'm going to the Bluegrass that night. Uh, can we do it the following night?" And I said, "Hey, wait, hang on, back up, Bluegrass." What do you mean, bluegrass? And he said, "Oh, there's a bluegrass society. We go there. That's fun." And uh, <laughs> so in short. I was there at the bluegrass night, and I've been to everyone since then, just about. How many people are involved in that bluegrass community? Well, it's it's small but enthusiastic, shall we say? There's mm-hmm. there's, there's there's about a hundred people that that go that go one way or another to bluegrass functions around Sydney, and um, to the major festival. There's about three hundred or four hundred or so go. There are a growing number of festivals in in Australia. Um, they're they're more what I think people in America call jam festivals than uh, than uh, performance festivals. Uh, but there are performances, of course. But uh, yeah, the main reason people go is to jam. Usually, there's there's one uh, there's one or maybe two visiting bands to. Uh, Uh, To perform as as an attraction to to sell tickets, and uh, the local the local bands uh, all all perform for free, but you know they they well they're not not made up not making big profits for anybody. They make up for it in enthusiasm, shall we say? So you've been involved in that scene for how long? I've been to the major festival, uh, which was called Harrietville. It's now called Mountain Grass uh for most of the last uh, 20 years but i because because of my work work uh, commitments i don't usually get to go to other festivals which is a pity and exactly what is your real job uh well since since the the covid thing um keeping boredom at bay sitting at home these days so i'm i'm like retired now but uh, for the, for most for most of my life uh, in australia i've been a a web developer Okay. And, uh, and uh, in 1996, uh, I was uh, the sta- state state manager for Lexmark, the printer the IBM printer company, and um, I got sick of office politics, and I get sick of a commute of an hour and a half each way each day, and uh, not seeing my family when they were awake. Um, I quit there and 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 became self-employed, and I've been self-employed ever since. I haven't been as as wealthy as I was back then. But um, I've been, I've had a life, and I got to see the kids when they come home for school, and you know things like that. So right. I've, I've been a lot better off as a self-employed person. But that's made my life a bit, lot more flexible too, and the things I can do and the commitments I can take on, and a lot happier, I would imagine. Oh, much, 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 much happier. I had a life.
1: So tell us how the radio came in. At what point and how did you get involved?
2: Quite by accident. I've been. Uh, I've been interested in radio since I was a kid, and uh, I had it when I, when I was at, uh, at uni- university, I had a friend who was had a, a job at uh, at a rock and roll station in in Wellington where I was, and you know I, I got interested. I used to go and see Barry after after le- after after the uh, afternoon lecture, and and we'd sit and chat and stuff while he was doing his drive time show. But uh, I'd never dreamed that I would I would ever be in radio, and then one day. Uh, Rod Jones who uh, who's the uh, uh, the leader of the uh, the Bluegrass Society here said listen we, we've been running this running this radio show every uh, every week for 18 years and and it's really getting on top of us we we're, we're a bit bored we thought what if we eased up a bit would you like to take one show in three for for us I said, well yeah that sounds fun so i did one show in three and uh yeah you' you've you've done a little bit of thought about radio programming. Have a go at this. That was every alternate Sunday from seven thirty to eight thirty, um the show before us was a heavy metal rock and roll show playing <laughs> Metallica and people like that. And uh, I, so I don't think any of their listeners would hang on to listen to us, and I don't think any of our listeners would tune in early to listen to them. And then after us was the Burmese news in Burmese. Oh, great. After the Burmese news in Burmese was an Irish, Irish show playing Irish folk music and then after them was yoga on the air and they would have uh, the, uh, okay, sit quietly breathe deeply close your eyes say um. and that, that, was their, that was their show for an hour How was your listenership? I had no idea I've no idea, but there, but there were some enthusiastic members of the, of the Bluegrass Society who would say, "Oh, I heard your show on on, on Sunday. It sounded fun." And uh, but I mean, there was there's enormous problems trying to build a listenership based on that. Then the station the station changed its format and went. What year was that? Oh, 98, 1998, 1999, something like that. Okay. They changed their format and went all oh, dance music. Playing that playing that doff music for the for the youngsters, so none of our listeners would hang around. And I, so I was on the on the road. Thank you very much. Uh, don't come back. And around about that time, uh, Hawkesbury Radio, which is like five minutes from where I live, um, they had a, a three-hour uh, bluegrass show there, and uh, the, list, the the host of that wanted to leave. So she said to me. Uh, you know, sh- should I put your name forward for running the show? And I said, yeah, that sounds great fun. And that's when Music from Foggy Hollow was born. Can you explain the title, Music from Foggy Hollow? Well, I, I, I'd heard about the Foggy Mountain Boys and, the, you know, and mountain, uh, mountain music and all of that. And I was driving across what we call the Causeway, which is a low, uh, a low uh, part that goes, goes across a, 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 a swamp flat. Into the, into the town I live in, Windsor, and uh, it was foggy. I thought, well, it's foggy. we're in Foggy Hollow. So, okay, music from Foggy Hollow. There we are. That's, that's the name for the show. There's a lot of, lot of features of my show have sort of come about by accident. What was your time slot at
1: Hawkesbury Radio?
2: It's 2, 2, uh, 2 a.m. till uh, breakfast at, uh, at 6 to begin with on, on Wednesdays. Which was oh very convenient, very convenient time if I wanted to have uh, uh, wanted to have a a business building websites as well. But um, I thought that when I started there, I thought well, well, fair enough, uh, you need to have a um, you know a dog. What do they call it? The 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 dog shift, the the night shift. You need to have one of those shifts in order to learn what you're doing and, and you wait till somebody gets fired or dies or moves on or something and you get a more decent shift. But I was astonished at how many people are up and around at that hour.
1: I'll tell you, Australian radio doesn't sound much different from American radio.
2: Not, no, not really. The, the, the network that I'm uh, on, uh, Australian FM has three main main parts. There's a commercial radio. There's the, the government-owned broadcaster, the ABC, that has quite a few radio networks, and then the community radio. And community radio is a bit like NPR, really, I think. It's small, low-power stations that uh, allow community access to the airwaves. And uh, as a concession to the commercial broadcasters, uh, they don't allow advertising, don't allow uh, uh, more than five minutes of promotional, uh, promotional material and uh, uh, sponsorship messages an hour. Um, you know all that sort of thing um not allowed to have any paid staff uh, and uh but, but it's it's a it's an interesting sector in the, in the radio thing and, and that's where i found a home um so i'm so i'm doing this thing for for nothing and uh my friends are saying what are you doing spending all this time doing that for but uh you know you're not getting any money to find something where you get paid you really want to do music and i looked at I looked at commercial radio and I thought, well, there's no chance that I'm going to get a job in commercial radio. And uh, uh, I didn't really want to anyway, I, I think I think that, you know the hosts of radio shows and commercial radio don't have any say in what they're going to play. And uh, here was I sitting in the middle of the night playing music with turned in a soundproof studio, turned up at full volume, and uh, getting to talk to some of my musical heroes.
1: When you were doing interviews way back, uh, were most of your interviews with Australian musicians, or had you started contacting the American ones?
2: No, I I, I remember what one uh, uh, I was I was excited. I was talking to uh, uh, talking to Sammy Sheila, uh, and to me he was he was just one of the one of the uh, well rock star band. i never thought I'd be able to talk to him. That that was when he told me that his first banjo uh he he got when he was he was i think he said four four years old for his birthday i said so was this a little kid's kid size banjo or something he said no it was it was a full-size banjo said i couldn't hold it up i had to get my dad to put it on the bed for me so i could stand alongside the bed and play it that way i I remember interviewing um tom t and dixie hall one time and uh uh i thought this this is coming up I, i i need i need to do some research on this and uh I found out that hardly anybody knew much about uh, Dixie Hall. that didn't actually know her personally. There was no bios on the internet. I researched as hard as I could. There was not much about her. And I thought, now that's an interesting angle. If, if I could find out something about Dixie Hall, that would be an interesting interview because a lot of people wouldn't know much about her. And, uh, I found, uh, found, perhaps I should should keep her name to myself, uh, who who told me quite a bit about Dixie, and she's an interesting person. And uh, so I've I've got some notes, and I'm thinking, this is going to be a fantastic interview. I'm excited because it's it's a new angle. something nobody's been able to, as far as I can tell, nobody's been able to do before. And uh, so I, I... the time comes, I get get Dixie on the Miss Dixie on the on the phone, and she says, "Oh, Mike, I've got Tom T here as well, so uh, uh, you can interview both of us. How's that?" So I had to throw my notes away and go and fly it by ear after that, because I could hardly say, "No, I don't want to talk to Tom T," <laughs> and I never got back to that. That I, I still wanted to talk to her because I, you know, she's she was an interesting person, and uh, I never got back to that. that. That was a big pity. But yeah, I've, I've had. Lot, you know, lots of interesting things like that have happened to me just because of this accident. You know, of, of, of my friend saying, uh, "You want to help us out with this radio program?" How many years now? Gee, I must be coming up to a thousand soon, and I did my sums, and I've I've I'm up to about 875 or so now. It's been been 22 years, I think, that I've done the show, and I've been on uh, on Bluegrass Country since. Just uh, just on uh, just into the two thousand,
1: right? And uh, you're on other places also, aren't you?
2: Um, yeah, there's there's one other station in uh, in Virginia that takes me regularly, and mm-hmm. uh, a couple of other stations have have uh, experimented with it, and uh, they they prefer to have live shows, so that that isn't, hasn't gone anywhere. I haven't really pushed that part very hard. Tell us before we move on how people can tune in to hear you. Ah. I hope you to take notes here, people. You, you need to have a, a paper and pen because there'll be a test on this afterwards. You can hear the five-hour live show go out. In, it's, it, these, these, these times are all United States Eastern time uh, at 10am uh, Sunday on uh, Bluegrass Country, uh, bluegrasscountry.org, and 7pm uh, Tuesday on bluegrasscountry.org. 2pm uh, 2, 2 Monday On WNRV The Ridge 9.90am and 97.3 In Virginia And uh, the, the live show is uh, uh, Sydney Friday at uh, 6, 7 or 8 It starts at 6, 7 or 8 Depending on the time of year because of daylight savings And uh, uh, yeah, But there, there you get Our news, our weather Our ads, my mistakes Um some stupid remarks that are, uh, uh, are not shall we say PC and suitable for Americans so if you want to be offended you can listen in <laughs> on the Fridays and how do I tune into that you you go to well our FM doesn't stretch to the United States but you can go to uh, 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 Hawkesbury radio.com.au au and uh, pick it up that way we have our own um, uh, uh, iPhone app and and uh, 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 Android app and uh, we've got uh, we're on all the other places you, you can pick up uh, world, world radio stations on uh, the tune in app and uh, those things I radio and
1: let's talk a little bit do you have a template for your show or do you work
2: off the hip every show how did you develop that over the years well I, I, I started out listening to successful radio shows of all sorts in, in Australia, and I think well, what made that successful, and I started to come up with some some ideas of the sort of things, and and I'd been listening to people like Casey Kasem, uh, you know, American Top 40, when I was a kid, and there were some little gimmicks that he had that 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 made uh, that made the show uh, essential listening, uh, coming to coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations like make, make it my station, make it my station, go on make. Ah, oh, it's not my station. Maybe it'll be my station the next time, things like that. Or uh, coming up on the show, uh, uh, a song from uh, 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 an artist who was a, a hairdresser in Florida, and he, he went on to become one of the greatest, greatest stars in the rock and roll era. And you think, oh, who could that be? Who could that possibly be? And I picked up a few of these sorts of little gimmicks at first. And then I found out they were a rod for my own back, so I, that, that was just get too hard to do. So um, I uh, I ended up dropping those. But that was a start to the way I was thinking about the show. And then I thought, well, when I was invited to do the show in 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 Washington, I thought, well, people like people like you, Katie, and Lee Michael Dempsey, and Gary Henderson, and all that, you know a lot about the about the people. You know, I mean. some of them you went to school with, you've known them for a long time. And, you know, how, how could I ever play a, a seldom seen song and, and, and think I could sound like you introducing a seldom seen song. Yeah. I mean, you know, the seldom seen people I've never met any of them. So how, how could I do it? And I thought, well, all I can do is just all I know about most of the people I'm playing here is what's in the liner notes and what I can find out with Google. Um, so that's official bios and things. Um, so I, I'll, I'll just have to goof off, and I'd say stupid things, and uh, turned out that <laughs> that's what people like to hear. Uh, I don't know whether I'm recommending that for anybody else, but it seemed to work for me. Uh, I mean, one example, for example, somebody said, uh, sent me an email once that said, "I'm listening to you from the from the uh, from the, the car just outside the uh, the uh, uh, general store at uh, Rabbit Hash, Kentucky." And uh, I said, oh, well, come on. You, you think just because I'm a, I was reading this on air and I, I said, just, you think just because I'm an Australian, you can tell me anything and I'll believe it. There's no town called Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. Nobody would name a town Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. Don't be stupid. And next thing I had emails from people. Yeah, there is, yeah, there is, it's, it's, there it is. Here's a picture of me outside the, grand, uh, outside the, the, the general store in Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. And no, uh, no, nah, nah, you're, just, you're just trying to, that's Photoshop. You're just trying to fool me along. It went on for weeks. I had a picture of a fellow across the river in Cincinnati, is it, across the road from, across the river from Rabbit Hash. Yeah, look, see that chimney in the distance? That's, uh, that's Rabbit Hash over there. <laughs> and it, it, it just became an ongoing running gag through the show for weeks. And uh, I looked up Rabbit Hash and it seemed like a terrific town to me. It's a town that said it's got a general store and about three houses and that's it. And uh, there's nobody in the town that works in the town. Because there's only there's only one employer and a, a couple of farms, I think. Uh, the rest of them are you know, all, all the people that work there come from outside the county, and uh, they uh, they they decided they didn't want to have to have a mayor, but the but some law said they had to have a mayor. So they they got the two best hound dogs they could find in the town and put them on the on a, the porch of the general store with a with a box next to them, and you voted for each one with a dollar. And they use it as a, front, a fundraising campaign. And and uh, they, they still do after 20 years. They're still the, the mayor of Rabbit Hash is a dog. Uh, it's, he's, he's legally the mayor and he does things that legally have to do. And he, he signs with an with his poor, as I understand it. That just sounds like the, sound, the, the kind of town I wanted to go to. So the Rabbit Hash is on my bucket list. So that sort of stuff.
1: You know, when you said, how can I compete with Lee Michael Dempsey or Gary Henderson? I think you found that to be Mike Keir is what you should be. You can't be Gary Henderson Jr. Radio listeners will sniff that out. They know if you're authentic or not.
2: Well, yeah, I, I, was, I had no choice. It wasn't a philosophical thought to me. It, I had no choice. If I was going to have a show that Bluegrass Country wanted, and if I was, if I was not going to look like an absolute doofus, I had to be a doofus, and um, if that makes sense, it's made sense in my. That's like that Tony Rice thing. It made sense in my head when I said that. Right. Um, <laughs> I yeah. I had to do something different, and um, uh, well, it's it's done me all right so far. So I guess I'll keep doing it.
1: In the early years, long before Airplay Direct, where were you getting your records?
2: That was a lot of hard work. I being being self-employed and not exactly all that wealthy I couldn't afford to buy cds at at that rate they're hard to find anyway in in this part of the world bluegrass cds and uh uh, in fact I you know there's there's, I've got a jingle that says that and uh, uh uh get it just getting the music required a lot of emails a lot of phone calls a lot of um work to to build trust and and uh, understanding with with artists and with labels and with managers and uh it's it stood me in good stead over the years that uh, hard work and i have to keep doing it that's a really 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 important part of of a, of a new releases show if you're going to have a new releases show you i mean you've got to be you've got to have new content and uh uh, so I managed to get a few that were pre-release, and I would I would say that you know this hasn't been released yet. It'll be released soon, and uh, I think that gave me some credibility there. It also helped. It didn't help. Uh, it didn't hurt me that uh, artists like to be able to say, "And we're being played in Australia," you know. So I I build that up as well. Uh, uh, if I ever had a I've ever played music by an artist like that, I'd say, and you know, and here in Australia we play this we play this quite a lot, you know. <laughs> Just to build them, to let them be able to brag that they, uh, they get played in Australia.
1: I remember listening to your show and thinking, hey, this guy is breaking a lot of music long before any of us in the States are. And he's interviewing a lot more people than we are. He is way ahead of us. How's he doing that?
2: You told me that one day and I was staggered. I had no idea that I would, that I would ever get up to, up to your level, let alone past your level in any respect. And uh, uh, so I thought, well, hell, something, I'm doing something okay, so I should keep doing it then.
1: Yes, absolutely, because that's become a mark of Music of Foggy Hollow. While we're talking about it, how do musicians get in touch with you and how do record companies send you their material?
2: These days, um, uh, we don't use CDs anymore. I've got the biggest pile of CDs in my, in my spare room that I don't know what to do with that are gathering dust. There must be about 3,000 CDs sitting in that pile. I don't know what to do with them. Anyway, um, uh, if I was if I was uh, a, a wicked a wicked dishonest person, I'd take them down to the second hand shop and sell them. But um, I don't do that. They don't belong to me. Anyway, uh, uh, what they can what they can do is uh, I have a, a website, and there's full instructions on how they can send me music. I like it like digital music these days. Um, uh, so I th- they go to AirPlay Direct, or they go to my website at A Talking Dog a talking dog a talking dog yes because talking dog was was taken and uh, and uh, there's instructions there on how to send us music there's a lot of different ways but digital is the way, way I prefer it it gets there quicker and um, uh, and uh, uh, it's in the format that I can that I can use and put to air straight away there's it's not unknown um, it's not usual but it's not unknown for me to actually hear about a new Uh, A new song that's been made available on a Friday during Friday morning in the the United States time And put it onto air straight away while the show's progressing and never heard it before Becky Bullard did that too She sent me a Facebook note saying, Mike, my my new single is, is, you know, I can make it available for you now if you want it And I said, oh, the show's already going Um, Okay, make it available So I downloaded it and put it straight on air I hadn't heard it either
1: there you go. That's the way to get it done. Now, because of that, they'll sense the playfulness in you and they'll continue to do it. It's like your interaction with the
2: people about Rabbit Hatch. Yeah. I mean, there are some artists that I wouldn't put on air straight away, but someone like Becky Buller or, you know, a name, a name band, I'd put them straight to air. Yes. Have you been to the U.S.? Not since 1980. Uh, I was working for working for uh, for Burroughs Corporation. Um, it became part of Unisys later on, and uh, I had I had to go to training to training and budgeting sessions if, every year. And uh, we had uh, budget meetings in in uh, Washington DC and in uh, uh, Hawaii, and, uh, and and we had one in in Rocky Mount, uh, Virginia. And that's that was my first first direct contact with uh, people in people in uh, in the Bluegrass Heartland and a week a week in rocky mount virginia was outstanding i was in the roanoke hotel and we travel we traveled through the uh, it was right in autumn so fall so uh, and the appalachian were, were just beautiful it was it was the most glorious week
1: how do you divvy up the music the old the new the classics the progressive what's your formula for that
2: there's there's about 68000 songs in my my library now so i don't I don't attempt to uh, select it by memory because I'd never remember all the, all the, the good songs. Because I'm um, targeting new releases, I pick out I have a computer program that picks me out a list of 75 uh, songs that haven't been played from the last seven, last 70 song, 70 albums that were added to the library. and from there, I pick the show. So that guarantees that I, I'm focusing on new releases. Um, it doesn't fit, usually that doesn't usually fill the whole show. I usually have to add some add some other songs too, and that gives me, you know, a bit, a bit more freedom than just having a computer pick it and play it. Uh, I don't want to become a jukebox. And uh, the very latest latest new new additions uh, become feature albums or feature singles these days. And uh, sometimes there's something that, that I get a request for or uh, there's a you know theres there's a cover band that I play a lot these days, nothing to do with Bluegrass called the Foxes and Fossils. They come from Atlanta, Georgia, but they are an outstandingly good uh, cover band and they're all acoustic. and I've got a couple of listeners that get quite irritated with me if I don't play a Foxes and Fossils show uh, song on the show. So uh, uh, you know that, that that sort of thing helps as well. You put all that together and um and uh, most of the show is already done then.
1: Interesting that you hear from people if you don't play a band, do you ever get complaints about the music you
2: do play? Oh, yes, yes, there's there's a good goodly collection of people roughly about equal numbers that say that's not bluegrass, you shouldn't be playing that. And another group of people that say, "Oh, come on, that's so old fashioned. don't play not, nobody's interested in that anymore. Play this newer stuff. Roughly equal numbers, then I'm happy.
1: What about your long-term plans? What do you see going on for you five years
2: from now? Oh, no idea. Who knows? I'm not even sure whether what's going to be Christmas. Uh, You know, with with COVID these these days, uh, who knows? But uh, uh, there's there's nothing in the world that doesn't have at least one benefit, and this this uh, COVID thing has been a bonanza for me. Watching YouTube, the bands are all trying to. They're all stuck at home, and they're all trying to. Trying to find a way to still keep doing music somehow, and on YouTube there is bluegrass every day. It's it's amazing, and I've seen bands now seen video from bands that I've never seen before. I've heard plenty of them, but never seen them before. And that that bit's exciting. So that but that's all new this year. Do you see the music moving more towards Americana? Yeah, I, I think I think commercial pressures will, uh, are forcing bands to do that. Um, and as, as the young ones come, the young people come along. They like to, they like more sophisticated sound and, and more sophisticated arrangements. And and I don't know how on earth they've learned how to play their instruments so well that they at at, at ridiculously young ages they could they can play in ways that just I mean I, they just astonish me. So, well, they're they're the future of this music. And um, uh, more and more progressive, I think, is going to be what happens, whether we like it or not. That's an unstoppable force. Yeah, It's it's very discouraging to me because I think the level of talent has been distributed unevenly through the population. I'll have to agree with you on that.
1: Well, Mike, once again, I can't tell you how excited I was when I heard your name called out for the 2020 IBMA Broadcaster of the Year Award. What about the people around you at the radio
2: station? I guess they were all thrilled, too. The term the term rock star comes to my brother's mind when he when he refers to it, yeah. I, I, what one of the, some of them have decided that they can't call me Mike Keir anymore, uh, or Mister Keir, I'm MK. They are they are thrilled, and uh, we're exploring ways to uh, to make something out of it because uh, you know we want to build the the reputation of the station, and uh, the 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 people in the station think that. Uh, that my having this award helps the station some along. It's it's the honour and the award that uh, that matters to me. And and uh, I mean, for example, it, it was six in the morning on a Thursday when when they announced the uh, they announced the winner, and I just I went berserk. And uh, about two hours later, I got to my computer, and there was about two hundred or three hundred congratulation messages from people I admire and respect, and and uh, I I, will, I look up to. And uh, that, that for me, was better than the trophy.
0: And that was Mike Keir, the 2020 IBMA Broadcaster of the Year, talking with Katie Daly. Mike broadcasts music from Foggy Hollow from Sydney, Australia's Huxbury Radio on 89.9 FM. Stateside, you can catch Mike on bluegrasscountry.org. You can contact Mike on his Facebook page, and by the way, his last name is spelled K-E-A-R, or on his website, atalkingdog.com. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on soundcloud.com and can be streamed on SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and katiedaily.com. As always... Thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories. ¶¶